0: Letters on Landscape Painting number 5 by Asher B. Durand. From the Crayon, Volume 1, number 10, March 7, 1855. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. I have already advised you to aim at direct imitation, as far as possible, in your studies of foreground objects. You will be most successful in the more simple and solid materials, such as rocks and tree trunks, and after these, earth banks and the coarser kinds of grass with mingling roots and plants, The larger leaves of which can be expressed with even botanical truthfulness and they should be so rendered but when you attempt masses of foliage or running water anything like an equal degree of imitation becomes impracticable it should be your endeavor to attain as minute portraiture as possible of these objects for although it may be impossible to produce an absolute imitation of them the determined effort to do so will lead you to a knowledge of their subtlest truths and characteristics and thus knowing thoroughly that which you paint you are able the more readily to give all the facts essential to their representation so this excessively minute painting is valuable not so much for itself as for the knowledge and facility it leads to, there is a marked distinction between imitation and representation, and if this distinction be at first difficult to understand, it will become more and more apparent as you advance. Although painting is an imitative art, its highest attainment is representative that is, by the production of such resemblance, as shall satisfy the mind that the entire meaning of the scene represented is given. Now, if all objects in nature could be equally well imitated, there would be no need of this distinction. But this is not the case. Take a tree, for instance. With its infinity of leafage, you perceive at once that direct imitation is impossible. That is such an imitation of its foliage as you produce of its trunk or of the rock beneath, for to that effect each leaf must be defined as far as seen, or at least a great portion of them, and with the same precision with which you express the scoring of its trunk. You are, then, to represent this foliage in every essential characteristic without defining the forms of individual leaves. To do this, some analysis of its structure is necessary. In the first place, it presents you with form and mass so far like a solid object, which it is not, and herein is your greatest difficulty. It is open and permeable and in a measure transparent, so that you see its nearer surface and through that to its central portions and opposite limit. If you attempt to portray it by the usual process for rounded objects, its local color in the great mass of light and natural gradation into the shade of its receding surface, you will only have the effect of a solid object you must do much more than this. The hue of the background on which it is relieved must be seen through its apertures in some parts. In others, the retiring color and texture of its center and opposite branches, together with gleams of reflection from the enlightened portions of its interior, for the light strikes through it as well as on it, then its species must be determined by the form of its clusters marking the divisions on its surface and especially their terminations or contour which express its distinctive character in addition to this you are to observe the kind of texture which its leafage requires also reflections from the sky visible on the upper portions of the shaded side When you shall have done all this, it is only representative. Yet, it satisfies the eye as fully as an imitation. Similar difficulties occur in painting near water. We see its surface, through that the bottom, when shallow, and at the same time surrounding objects and the sky above, all distinctly imaged upon this surface all attempt at imitation must fall far short, and yet water may be as unmistakably represented as trees. Strictly speaking, beyond a few foreground objects, our art is entirely representation, and that can be rendered satisfactory only by the utmost effort to produce imitation. When you shall have acquired some proficiency in foreground material, your next step should be the study of the influence of atmosphere, the power which defines and measures space, an intangible agent, visible yet without that material substance which belongs to imitable objects. In fact, an absolute nothing, yet of mighty influence. It is that which above all other agencies carries us into the picture instead of allowing us to be detained in front of it not the doorkeeper but the grand usher and master of ceremonies conducting us through all the vestibules chambers and secret recesses of the great mansion explaining on the way the meaning and purposes of all that is visible And satisfying us that all is in its proper place this therefore is an important personage and no pains should be spared to make his acquaintance having become familiar with the light and dark of foreground objects and their distinctness fullness of detail and freshness of color place yourself so as to include a view of these With a gradually retiring distance you will perceive that similar objects to those nearest you at a few hundred yards distant have undergone considerable change and that change becoming more and more apparent with every step beyond an examination into these changes affords us the first lesson in atmospheric space first direct your attention to the dark portions of the scene the shaded sides of objects and the shadows cast by them on the ground and on each other in the first place you will find these darks have lost something in strength and not only are they weaker but less distinctly marked with details and more negative in color as if by the infusion of a bluish gray scarcely perceptible at first but more obvious further on this invariably takes place at the first remove from the foreground and must be carefully expressed whether the eye discerns it or not for it is a principle i have reference to objects seen in a clear day all under the same conditions at every remove then The darks become weaker and weaker and their details or markings within them fainter and fainter i call your attention first to the darks because their variations are more palpable and thorough especially in color than those of the lights but the latter also undergo material changes gradually losing their details becoming softer in texture and weaker though not so essentially changed in color, till at length, when individual form is no longer distinguishable, the mingling light and dark are resolved into one mass of comparatively uniform color, as in the far distant mountain. The sum of all this is simply the natural gradation from darker to lighter, stronger to weaker, on a principle as fixed as the chromatic scale in music and the practiced eye of the artist will detect the slightest discord in the one as will the sensitive ear in the other this will serve as a general guide to the effect of a clear atmosphere bearing in mind that the upper portions of distant mountains are stronger and more defined than their bases the air being more transparent in proportion to elevation. You will observe that the open or permeable quality of trees is soon lost as you advance in the distance, and they partake more the appearance of solid objects, with the exceptions of the small openings or interstices, which alone determine their looseness of structure water also presents nothing but surface and its transparency is only observable by its reflections here note especially that the clearness of distant water does not depend on the use of transparent color but on the distinctness of reflections on its surface and so all broad shadows from whatever causes owe their transparency to the precise sufficiency of their details, that is, the right degree of distinctness with which objects within them are defined. We frequently see in pictures broad masses of transparent color applied to represent shadows, yet utterly void of clearness in consequence of mere blankness, no objects being seen, or at least distinctly seen within them. To conclude these brief hints, atmosphere is, as you know, a veil or medium interposed between the eye and all visible objects. Its final influence is to obscure and to equalize. It is felt in the foreground, seen beyond that, and palpable in the distance. It spreads over all objects the color which it receives from the sky In sunlight or cloud light and the only rule I can furnish you for the expression of its hue is that it partakes more and more the color of the sky thus far the expression of atmospheric space according to the distance of objects from the foreground is comparatively easy but when considered under the influence of a variable sky cloud shadows and drifting vapor it becomes more complex and all the subtleties of light with color subject to the media through which it passes and the intricacy of reflections from accidental causes will engage your attention and call in requisition all your powers of observation the degrees of clearness and density scarcely two successive days the same local conditions of temperature dryness and moisture and many other causes render anything like specific direction impracticable i can do little more than urge on you the constant study of its magic power daily and hourly in all its changes at times shortening at others lengthening the space before you now permitting to be defined in all its ruggedness the precipice on the mountain side, and now transforming it to a fairy palace, and the solid mountain itself to a film of opal. I must allude to this subject further in other connections, its importance being too great to be passed by with a single consideration. Yours truly, A. D. Durand. End of Letters on Landscape Painting, Number Five by Asher B. Durand. Read for LibriVox by Sue Anderson.